ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Jeremy Branham is in Lubbock, Texas. Sorry, he's on his way. The best place to spend a Friday is in Lubbock, Texas, apparently. I'm Joe George, filling in for Jeremy. Is it? Of course. What's worse, Baylor or Texas Tech? That's a great question. Because, like, have you ever been to the sports Texas Sports Hall of Fame at, right outside Baylor? I have not. Right outside the campus at I mean, Baylor? I like, like, without the campus, I don't know that Baylor would exist. That, that, any, that anything around there would exist. What's what's in Lubbock that would exist? College without- Station could give it. I mean, there's a there's some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, definitely, like, Lubbock for Texas Tech and then uh, Waco would be the worst places to go. And live. Waco and Lubbock, to me, I'm, I'm just going, oh, my God. I don't know how people, I mean, I won't, I'm, no offense, but what's the suicide rate around here? <laughs> Like, there's nothing to do. It would be Depression Central. Uh, I'm going he, without the college. Woo! Uh, he is Joel Blank. You can find him on Twitter at Pac-Man Joel. Obviously, a lot to get into today. No Astros baseball last night, but a big win for the Mariners because Aroldis Chapman is terrible. We'll talk to Todd Callis, uh, the voice of the Astros at 3.30. We'll play Who Said It at 4.30. Texans Steelers this weekend. Maybe we'll get into the, the fact that they finally made an arrest in the Tupac case after 27 years. 1996. Hmm. Well, not the not the news I was expecting to see on my timeline today, but let's get let's get into the Astros. So, Rawls Chapman, he's terrible. Did you watch the game last night? Yes, I'm sitting there watching in bed, and I couldn't turn it off. I'm like, oh, this this game's over. Texas has got this game, especially after Garcia went yard. I was like, oh, it's over. And then J Rod hit one. I'm like, they still got it. And then all of a sudden, in the ninth inning, I see Chapman warming up, and I go, oh Lord, I better keep it on. Lisa's like, you want to bet? I go. Just got to see a little bit more. And then there's two on, nobody out. And I go, seen enough. I know what's happening next. It's funny because it's like, it's still weird that he's on the Rangers. That, that trade happened so long before the deadline. It still feels weird that you have to remember that any close game the Rangers are going to play in, they're probably going to lose because he's just absolutely terrible. But it's obviously like, it's not what you want to see uh, for the Astros. Like you, you want the Rangers to beat the Mariners four times. They lose the first one. And and now, you know, there's this one guy, Corey, on Twitter. He's been putting out this graph of the, the 20 ways the Astros can make the playoffs. Now it's down to 16, uh, or at least to finish first or second in the in the AL West, which would secure a playoff spot. But if the Astros are going to make the playoffs, because it is still an if, like there's no, like they're only a game up on the Mariners. For the Astros to make the playoffs, what are the top two things that need to happen this weekend besides winning the game? Um... You know, I think that first and foremost, they got to get something out of their starting pitching. And I think it's sooner rather than later. I mean, you got a tough matchup tonight, but you got a guy that basically you were riding all season long as your most consistent pitcher that's been extremely inconsistent over the last month. And JP France has to step up, and he has to step up, and he has to keep you in the ball game, and he has to do some of the things he was able to do for the majority of the season and give you somewhat of a, you know, as close to a quality start as he can, keep your offense in the ball game. I think your offense has the chance to do some damage early, and Arizona doesn't see this this Houston team like a lot of teams in the league do. And I think that with as potent as this lineup can be now, and now even you know, and I was wrong. I thought Brantley was done for the year because we had you know sat there over and over again and seen opportunities missed to get him in ball games. If he shows up and looks anything he lo- like he looked in the last game in Seattle, 
I don't care who's on the mound on the other side because I think it actually motivates the Astros to play better. And I think that the offense is going to be okay. Your starting pitching has got to do the job. It's definitely number one on the list because realistically, we all know, like you want the Astros to win tonight, the Mariners to lose, and it's over. You don't have to pitch Justin Verlander. You have to pitch Fromber, Javier. You can give all these guys rest. However, Dusty Baker wants to handle it. That's the approach that you can take. But yeah, the starting pitching, JP France, I think it's it's a big thing. Like if he can go four innings and, and give up less than two runs, that's that's a win for me. Because we all know, like the Astros have to be all in at this point. Dusty's going to manage these games like they're playoff games. The bats, I think, will do good enough. Like. Is he? He better. I mean, you I mean, say that confidently. The way he did the other night, he yeah. managed the game with his. At you least understand his why I'm a bit apprehensive. For sure. Like, with the bullpen, he manages it like a playoff game yes, already. It's the lineup that is going to be questionable. We don't really know what Michael Brantley's status is once again. Dana Brown said today on the flagship that he's day-to-day. So, like, clearly this... this like, what, four hits suddenly took it out of his shoulder? Apparently. Like, it, it must be that sore where it's like, like, he's older. But, like, it's it sure the way, like, hearing Dana Brown say that, it definitely feels like he's going to play, and it might be a little bit before we see him again, and maybe it's going to be an every-other-day thing. Remember, that's what they started with him in Sugarland the first rehab start, was it was going to be every other day. Joe, here's the thing. I know enough NBA players over the years that used to get to, to basketball games and take two-and-a-half to three hours prior to playing every night just to be able to play. If you're basic, If you've basically stolen a $12 million for the course of the majority of the season. But you know there what a difference you make in that lineup at a time when they need to have everybody in that lineup. I'd, I'd have them start doing hot yoga at noon. Doing something. Something. Arizona heat yoga. I don't care. Get him loose. Get him stretched out. But get him ready to play because I think I owe it to the organization and my teammates, and I think I could make a difference. Yeah. My number one thing, if you're going to go outside pitching, if the Astros are going to make the playoffs – as a result of you know winning games this weekend, Alex Bregman needs to figure it out because he has been terrible over his last like thirty at bats. He has not been the guy that he was at any point this season. He has been absolutely awful. I know Dre loves to call him Buzzkill. Mm-hmm. It is one of the funniest things on social media. Every single time Alex Bregman does something, I go right to Dre's Twitter account to see how he's using the word Buzzkill and attacking Alex Bregman. But Alex Bregman needs to play good to a like really good baseball this weekend. I think for the Astros to make the playoffs, you need the top of your order to do something. You it can't be you know, hoping that Chaz or Doobie or Machetti's gonna get you a home run. Like you need those top guys, specifically Bregman, I think, to really get rolling this weekend if they're gonna make a difference. Well you know, Joe, you look at it too, and who was the guy that well, less than two weeks ago said we know what we need to do. We need to execute. We need to do our jobs. We need to execute execute, execute, and the next day, bases loaded, one out, needing a fly ball, he couldn't execute. I think he has two hits since then. Since then, he's might be two, for, two for the last two weeks. It was two for 20, I think, going into the final game in Seattle, and last time I checked, I don't think he did anything to rattle the scoreboard or change that. He's been awful, and his defense, which I've always been the first to commend, has been less than stellar. Yeah, it hasn't been Bregman-level defense. Like he, The one, he doesn't leave the bag to go make sure the ball, even though there's no one backing him up, mm-hmm. which is even more important, you leave the bag to go get the ball. The other one, the ball that, you know, the, the infield is in, granted, 
But that's a ball that he, he you know, he, he can field in his sleep most times. It eats him up. It goes off his hand. You put another guy on base, and you're going, what's going on with the guy that says that we got to execute? Yeah. The other, I, I would say with that, too, for this weekend, because they're playing so unlike the Astros of old, they need to play sound baseball this weekend. No doubt. The defense hasn't been great. We all know the base running has just been a disaster, it feels like, the last couple of weeks. Even it's not even been all Altuve; it's been other guys as well. They need to run the base as well and not make stupid mistakes, and they need to play good defense. Like it, it sounds so simple, but they just have not been doing that. It was a monster win the other night, but now you're a game up on the Mariners with the Diamondbacks. Both these teams are fighting for their lives. Like, and, and who? And, and honestly, the Diamondbacks could end their season on Sunday potentially, depending on how the next three games go, and they might not even know their fate because of this joke of what Major League Baseball did last night with the Marlins. Isn't that might, crazy? They might make them play like what? Is it one inning on Monday? I think it's two out. Two, two. Oh my! Absurd. The fact that they didn't just and it's they waited out and and they have to travel. They have to travel to back to New York from Pittsburgh back to New York. Bizarre. Only right. to play two outs, get all re- you know uniformed up and the whole works, the whole traveling party and everything that goes with it, and then you probably have you have to travel somewhere else to play the wild card. Assuming you get in. Yeah, that's it's one of the more ridiculous things I've seen. But just going into the weekend, confidence wise. How do you feel? Because this has been a roller coaster of two weeks. I'm gonna tell you something right now. Last night made me feel a little uneasy. Yeah, because there's that scenario still looms where they don't make the playoffs, and I hate that because I think you know we all said they were going to win the division, and I, I I was confident throughout this process they were going to win the division, and now I don't know that I'm willing to risk winning the division for the sake of maybe missing the playoffs. I'd rather just have total best case scenario we talked about earlier in the week. I'd like to have them win tonight. Like you said, I'd like to have the Mariners lose tonight, and then I'd like to see you sit Justin Verlander and go, you know what? We'll take our chances. We got our starting pitching lined up. We're not going to pitch them in Arizona. We're going to get ready to do this thing with a clean slate, 0-0, postseason baseball. Come get us. We'll come take it. Yeah, that's it, it, that's absolutely. There's no reason for Justin Verlander. I, that's why I thought the non-answer from Dusty Baker the other day was kind of weird. Where I think it was Chandler tried to kind of poke of poke poke at him and be like, hey, like if you guys clinch up the playoffs, like is JV going to pitch on Saturday? And he didn't really give a an answer. And look, maybe that's a, a jinx thing for Dusty Baker. Like he doesn't want to, you know, say like if we make the playoffs, Justin Verlander's not going to pitch on Saturday. But that's what should happen because you should go into the playoffs with, I guess at that point, it would be Justin Verlander on Tuesday, Fromber on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and Javier potentially on in game on Thursday. Yep. But I still think there's a path. You could see Javier, because that's what's interesting, is even though like you're not risking it for the playoffs or for the division, if you take Verlander and Fromber, you could still throw Javier out there on Sunday if it's Yeah, it. because it works out where he could he could throw. Yeah. Yeah, so like, in, you could still throw three. Hunter Brown on Saturday if the, if the division's locked up, and then Javier on Sunday, and still make a push for the division, even though you're not throwing Verlander and and Fromber out there. And, and just, let's face it, I mean, the most important imperative thing is one, number one and number two. I don't care which order you put them in, but you got to have JV and you got to have Fromber. And, and you and I have been on the same page with this too. If and I think you started the the, the whole no, notion of it. If Javi goes out there for you, the minute that you smell trouble, he gone. Like get him, get him through the lineup once. If he's cruising, I'll let him continue until he puts someone on, or or it looks like the first sign of trouble. This, if his control starts w- get, going wayward, he's gone. I, I can't take any risks. All right, is there trouble in paradise mm. with the Houston Astros as they get ready for the postseason and the final three games of the season? We talk about that next year 
on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, you guys, have you been in a car wreck? Because unfortunately, I have, and, and friends of mine have too. And I tell you what, a lot of times you don't realize and you don't think it through on what you need to do until the accident actually happens. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, what do I do next? It's pretty easy if you listen to me right now. You need to call attorney Steve Hollingsworth because he is an expert. He specializes in car crashes. He knows what to do, and he does it for you. He does not get paid until you win. And when you win, that means he's going to make sure, whether it's fighting an insurance company or a lawsuit or actually filing a lawsuit in your behalf, he's going to get you the money you deserve if you were injured, the money to repair your car, the money for your pain and suffering, and so much more. The Hollingsworth Law Firm specializes in helping people in a car wreck that get injured and what get what's rightfully theirs. They fight the insurance companies. They get you the most, most amount of money possible, and you don't pay unless you win. They're bilingual, too. Friend of mine, Spanish first language, was really apprehensive about going to a lawyer. I called Steve. Steve put him in contact with his bilingual staff. They started to handle the case immediately. My friend could take a deep breath and rest easy knowing he's got someone in his corner. You can too. If you or someone you know has been injured in a car wreck, call Steve Hollingsworth right now. 713-999-8773. 713-999-8773. Or easy to go to visit carwrecktexas.com. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Dude. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret bee cave, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. Joe George here filling in for Jeremy Branham alongside Joel Blank on the Killer Bees. So this week, Dana Brown was on the flagship station and he had a quote. Now, I'm not going to ignore the fact that like people have already said on Twitch that this quote might not be accurate. But here's the thing. I'm not we're not going to play their audio. Right. So we're going to read the quote that they put out on social media. They put out and say it's correct. Uh, Dana Brown is attributed to saying, quote, we'll have a high-powered offense. Our better, is hit, our better hitters in there is what I'm hoping for, but Dusty makes the lineups. He makes the decisions. I know we need the offense. We need game one. So what that sounds like to me, when I first see the quote, and we put it on the rundown, and it's this is going to be a topic of conversation, is Dana Brown is unhappy with Dusty Baker's lineups, just like the rest of us. That that Dana Brown is not happy, whether it's Yiner Diaz, Chaz McCormick. However, he's using the lineups that he is unhappy, and he thinks that Dusty Baker is not putting out the best lineup to score runs on a daily basis. That's immediately what it reads like, and frankly, even if the quote is not 100% accurate, I guarantee you, it means the right thing because there's no way Dana Brown watches the Houston Astros every day and goes, yeah, I love what Dusty Baker's rolling out there. Here's the thing, Joe. In the spirit of fairness, because of the fact that there is a little bit of controversy with this, we can look at it from all angles. Even if it isn't to to the point of what you're speaking of, the quote screams and reeks of, it ain't my choice. Regardless of whether he's pissed about it or he would do it differently, or if there's tone or anything else, a comment like that basically spells it out for anyone willing to absorb it and take it in that it ain't my call. It ain't like James Click who used to try and meddle and, and you know tell Dusty who to play and I and obviously you know meddle try to meddle with lineups and such. It sounds like it's very clear from a Dusty perspective that 
or from their understanding of the and the, to Dusty's perspective, he's going to make the lineup. And yeah. if that's the case, then he should shoulder the blame. And when we see all these missed lineups and we see all these quirky, weird rest days when they don't need them coming down the stretch in the middle of the most important time of the year. Well, we were wondering, like, whose call is that? Now we're not wondering so much. Yeah, and, and that's not it's not too surprising. Like, it doesn't really matter whether it's James Click, Jeff Luno, or, uh, Dana Brown. Like, whoever would, would be the general manager of this baseball team with Dusty Baker in charge, Dusty Baker is going to make the lineup. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like Joe Madden wrote a book and, and about his time with the Angels, and that part of the reason why it didn't work there was because they kept trying to tell him what to do with his lineup and with his bullpen. Like, this has been a well-documented issue across baseball for the older managers dealing with, like, the younger, new-age analytical GMs. So it's not surprising. Regardless, Yannier Diaz is going to be your starting catcher tonight with J.P. France on the mound. Mm -hmm. So, like, you are heading in a positive direction. He also said in that interview, Michael Brantley was day-to-day, like we mentioned in the first segment, so if Michael Brantley is available to play, that does mean as long as Chaz McCormick's back is okay, we should see the death lineup tonight. We should. We should. Now, some people are also going to argue on social media that Dubon, the way he's hitting, should be part of the death death lineup. To me, he should not be in that lineup instead of Chaz McCormick. Chaz McCormick has been too big for you all season long. He has way more pop, although I know he hit one in Seattle. Dubon's not a power hitter like that, and you need Chaz's bat in the lineup. I, I agree with you, and I think the death lineup is... is very, very possible. And I need to make sure that Michael Brantley, if he picks day to day, and which day, today would be the day because you need to get a win. Then if you get the win and Seattle loses, you can do whatever you want with Michael Brantley. You can rest him the rest of the weekend if you'd like. But you got to get there first, and that's why you got to put the best lineup out there. And again, like to what the quote says, it really leads a lot of people to some clarity about, oh, Okay, now it's finally out there without it actually being point blank said. Dusty makes the lineups. And I think, Joe, to that point, too, to your Joe Madden comment, old school guys don't like analytics. And, and in a lot of cases, they don't understand them. They don't want to understand them. And they just want to trust their yeah, guy. And they don't want to get into them. So the way that they are able to feel like they can justify and keep power and keep control of their clubhouse and their lineup is they make the lineup. Yeah. And, and that's all they and that's all they really can do. And like, unless you're going to go the Billy Bean route, like we saw, you know, portrayed in Moneyball, and remove guys from teams, like the managers are going to do what the managers want. And 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 look, that's they, that is their job. Like, if, if you don't if you don't trust your your manager to make the right lineup, you have to make a change. And I will say at this point, everything we've seen, you know, from Chandler Rome, from other reporters, from just hearing guys in the clubhouse. Like, there is clear frustration a little bit with Dusty. You know, we've speculated, fans have speculated about there being some kind of rift. I do think we're at the point now where, like, we are in the final stretch of Dusty Baker. No doubt. At least in this organization. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if he'll manage again. I think someone will give him, might give him a crack at it next year. I think Crane but, puts him next to Reggie Jackson, or at least gives him the opportunity to be next to Reggie Jackson as a consultant to the general manager or owner. But I definitely agree with you. He's done here managing short of winning another World Series. Yeah. And I believe that because your general manager inherited his manager, and we talk about this across sports, especially analytical new wave general managers, they want their own guy. It's like the old Parcells saying only in reverse. If you're going to hire me and make me take the blame for every move that's made, let me hire my guy to manage the team on a daily basis or vice versa when you when you get a coach like, like I think D'Amico, mm-hmm. at a certain point, he could be he'll have say so in a general manager. But I think that that's the way it normally goes. And I think when you look at this scenario, it basically reeks of the fact 
that Dana walked into a situation where he has zero control of like what goes on lineup lineup wise and in the dugout. Yeah. Now look, I, I think that going forward, I think we know we are what we are going to see though. Like at, at this point, I don't think anyone should be shocked about the Astros lineups from like from our perspective. Yanir Diaz is going to catch. He's going to catch very little in the playoffs. You know, if, if you go, if you go, let's say all goes well. And the wild card round is some combination of Fromber, Javier, and Verlander. Yiner Diaz is not going to catch any of those Uh-oh. games. It is going to be Maldonado for all three. The only games that Yiner Diaz is going to catch is going to be when JP France starts. Will he play DH? That's going to be another question. Like, I, I don't know what Dusty Baker's strategy is going to be in Minnesota with Jordan Alvarez. I, I can't remember the last time they played there, honestly. It was really cold. Yeah, so that makes it more complicated. And Jordan Alvarez probably was out when they played there this year. So I don't, I'm don't. i curious to see if Jordan Alvarez will be in left field or if he'll be your DH. I think DH, it was the first week, couple weeks of the I season. I think you're right. Yeah. Like, I think it was really early yep. on. So I, I expect Maldonado to be your primary catcher throughout the playoffs. And when you get Yiner Diaz, it's going to be coming off the bench. But that's also not the worst thing in the world. Like when you talk about the Astros' depth, it it will be nice to potentially have someone in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning like Yiner Diaz to come off the bench and hit in a big spot. And Joe, but it also comes down to the discussion of what would you rather have? Would you rather have the steady bat in the lineup of Michael Brantley, or would you rather have the powerful bat of Yiner Diaz? Or if you're hell bent on getting Yiner into the lineup and you want Brantley at either DH or left field, and Jordan obviously wherever he's not. Would you risk the def- – and I know this is rare for people to have to – but the way he's playing lately, would you risk the defense of Jose Abreu and put a guy like Yiner Diaz at first base to get even more offense in the lineup? Because, look, as much as Yiner is a plus because of his power and his bat, he's a liability in the field. Abreu fielding the ball in the last two weeks has been really good. Really impressive. His scoops have been a lot better and really good and saved some runs. I don't think Yiner makes those same plays. I don't think so either. And, and plus, it's uh, that's another one of those things, too, where those conversations were good early on. You know, I think the three of us had, like, really good conversation about Yiner Diaz taking over for Jose Abreu. It was, like, the, the second month of the season. We, we tried to figure out if Jose Abreu was the worst contract in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's at this point, too, where I, I have zero expectations. That would be one of the most jaw-dropping things. I think we could see for the Astros the next three games and then potentially what's after that is Jose Abreu not at first base. Yeah, I agree. And look, and we know, if, and again, we'll let's go back to how we started the segment. Dusty makes the lineups. If Dusty's making the lineups, he already said the kid's going to thank me at some point for not playing him every day as it regards to Yiner. That quote looks so bad. Now. On top of that, we know that Pawpaw's gut tells him, I always go with the vets. I roll with the vets. If he's rolling with the vets, he's rolling with Abreu, and it's not even a discussion in, in Dusty's office. It may be in the media. It may be on social media. It may be, you know, maybe amongst his players at some point. But I don't even think it'll get that far because I think Dusty would squash it and say, my lineup, I go with veterans. And the same way Javier is already in pen, your number three starter, because he trusts him. He trusts Abreu as a veteran. He's penciling him in on first base. There's just nothing that's going to change his mind, I don't think. All right, we are going to be joined uh, not... Todd Kaus is going to join us in a little bit. He's going to, he's on an important call right now. Uh, so he will join us in probably about 10 minutes, maybe even 4 o'clock. So we'll talk to Todd soon. We'll talk more about the Astros and how you're feeling about the games this upcoming weekend next here on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. <laughs> ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Insert random audio clip now. Mr. Campbell, send out a amendment. The amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? And the chair has done the amendment. The amendment is adopted. 
you're back where you belong in the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the killer bees who won't sting you unless provoked. Here's Joel and Jeremy. I've been known. Say it again. Sting people? I've been known from time to time. Not, Not so much anymore. When's the last time you got into a fight? He's Joel Blank. I'm Joe George. Todd Callis is going to join us at 4 o'clock. Uh, a couple years ago, City League basketball game. Oh, really? Got a little messy. Now, like, are we talking like uh, benches clearing brawl? Oh, yeah. No way. Bit. Like the Astros and the Mariners were like nothing actually happens? No. Or like Jose Ramirez, Tim Anderson? No, there was somewhere in between there. Okay. There was definitely contact. No no knockout blows. Yes. Yeah. But uh, there was actual contact. Statue of limitations. I need to figure out. Not like but, fake, you know. Yeah, when I'm in the clear. Okay. Yeah. I feel like if it was a couple years ago, statue of limitations can't be that long for everything. Oh, well, uh, Tupac, 1996. Well, he got killed. Okay. But, I mean, with your concept. Can I tell you something? I watched that TV show they put out not that long ago. I watched, about I watched they, a lot of the documents, documentaries yeah, on it. The one, they, the one that was on FX, um, I can't remember who the main actor was, but where, like, they go through, like, what the reinvestigation was into Tupac and Biggie's murder. murder. Yeah. And then, like, it's, it's been Keefe D this whole time. Like, a duh. We all knew it, but apparently they got new evidence in his house, and they're finally going to arrest the guy that killed Tupac. How it's it, it how was is this possible? They, they had the surveillance. The they had the surveillance video from inside the casino in the spillout after the Tyson fight, and had the altercation that started everything. Did they not? Yeah, I thought so. Like it, it's just the fact that it's taken this long, and they're finally making an arrest is just bizarre to me because every single documentary. Or TV show you've watched on Tupac getting killed was like Keefe D was the name that always came up. It was always him. And then now 27 years later, he's actually finally being arrested. So if you missed it, Todd Cowles will join us at 4 o'clock. And I'm Joe George filling in for Jeremy Brown. Let's talk a little Texans here before we uh, wait, get to TK at 4. So obviously this weekend, Austin Deculus is likely going to be your starting left tackle. You're mm. going to have once again one of your four or one of your five starters Going into the season, Shaq Mason will be the only one out there. He did pop up on the injury report. I think it was yesterday. It seems like he's going to play. TJ Watt on the other side of the ball. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense is pretty good, like regardless, besides just TJ. If the Texans win this weekend, or how do the Texans win this weekend with that offensive line versus that defensive front? Well, I think the first thing you do is between tight ends right. and running backs. Well, besides that is you're going to overprotect his, his his the left tackle side. You're going to overprotect on TJ Watt. You are going to you're going to ask Pierce, you're going to ask all the tight ends with all hands on deck to make sure that they get over there for Deculus that you know the last thing they can afford to do is let anybody run rough shot on their quarterback, but particularly a guy that that can do as much damage as Watt. And because of the fact that, look, and people say it doesn't matter to him. Believe me, in that family, it matters to him. His brother is being honored. And he would lo- look, what are the odds that if he gets a sack, he's doing the JJ salute and, and, and walking oh. towards the end zone? A hundred percent in my mind that he is going to do whatever he can to honor his brother and do things like his brother and wreak havoc like his brother on his brother's old team. You've got to make sure that is the, the, the straw that stirs the drink defensively for the Steelers. Yeah, there's other guys. Yeah, there's another guy on the other side that went to Houston that is a pretty damn good pass rusher, too. But all of your concerns have to start with with, with Watt. Yeah, and, and that's where I'm curious, like, how they strategically attack him because you can't run the ball. Mm-mm. 
Like we we saw the first two weeks of the season that the, that the long drawn out plays have been, have not worked well for the Texans. That the long rollouts and the long play actions have not been good for CJ. He was sacked eleven times in the first two games, and so Slowick has to do similar to what he did last week, but it is a different animal. I mean, like. It's funny how much after last night's game between the Lions and the Packers. Oh, there was a game last night? Watching Jacksonville get absolutely roasted on social media today for not taking Aiden Hutchinson. Yep. But, like, Walker is not the guy that, like, Hutchinson is. He's, that defensive line is nowhere near what the Steelers are this weekend. But I do feel like Bobby Slowick put C.J. Stroud in a better position in week three than he had in the first two weeks. He looked comfortable. Yeah. Bobby Slowick did. Like, you know what? Without watching his, his mannerisms and his body language, you could tell in the first two weeks, Bobby Slowick was close to a fish out of water. Yeah. He just didn't look like he had found his groove yet and, and, and had gotten his stride in terms of how to call an offense with the kind of players that he has available to him or doesn't in this case. I think that in week three, he looked comfortable. You know, he did try to get balance, but he didn't try to force feed the run too much. And we all said, look, as much as you wanted and started the year saying you had to be a running first and a run, and a very run-oriented offense, the only way you're going to be in any football games for the foreseeable future until your line gets back intact, and maybe even after that, is if you pass the football, get it out of the quarterback's hands early, make sure that guys are you know run the right routes, make sure that CJ makes the right reads, which he's fully capable and he's shown he could do, and you can move the ball down the field. But if you get hell-bent and hard-headed enough to say, I still have to force-feed the run, you're going to get swallowed up by a defense that's waiting on it going, just please keep doing that. Yeah, now, we've spent, like, that's obviously the focus of this game, right, is what is your offensive line going to do against their defensive line? But on the other side of that, I think if the Texans are going to win this weekend, I don't know if we've done our official predictions yet, um, I'm going to have the the Texans winning this weekend, and it's because the, the Steelers' offensive line is worse than the Texans. C.J. Stroud has been pressured the most in the NFL. He has been pressured 41 times, 36% of his pressure. Uh, he has a 36% pressure rate. That's the NFL high. He's been hit 15 times. It's the third most in the NFL. He's been hurried 18 times. That's also the third most in the NFL. Like This is a game where like their offensive line is just as bad as yours, and you need Will Anderson, Jonathan Grenard, and these guys to get to Kenny Pickett because – Unlike CJ, he doesn't really have like the mobility. But the one thing he has that we saw last weekend in the Steelers game, they can get some deep shots. Well, and he has the ability to throw off the run pretty well too. Yeah, he's like, pretty accurate. They got to get after like Kenny Pickett. I think if the Texans win this weekend, it's because as much focus has been on the Texans' offensive line, it's going to be because the Texans' defensive line gets after Kenny Pickett. Najee Harris looks like he's running in molasses half the time. I can't believe they give him the ball as much as they do. Does he look like he gained a little weight? I don't even... All I know is Jalen Warren looks looks so much better. Yeah. Like, Najee Harris looks nothing like the guy we saw in college or his rookie year in the NFL. That was my big thing. He looked like he... I don't know if he overlifted or what, but he looked like he was a little thicker and that it wasn't helping him. But I think that, to your point, Joe, the one thing that everybody should realize, too, is, and if you're a Steeler fan... The big difference between the two offensive lines is the Steelers look bad and they don't have three guys waiting to come off of, uh, of the injured list that might be able to help you, whereas the Texans are doing this with a makeshift patchwork you know, offensive line that's going to get better and give him more time to throw and allow you to do more things. It is what it is if you're Pittsburgh, which means your running game sucks and your protection is going to be minimal. Yeah, and most people know Matt Canada's name because he's terrible, their offensive coordinator. Yep. So th- this game's going to be, I feel like this game's going to end up being really low scoring. That it's going to be a 17-14, 20-17 to 
seventeen kind of game. Like the numbers, Pittsburgh three and a half. I think that number is right on the money to where it should be. And, and it's just I don't think we're going to see like this offensive explosion we saw last week. It's going to be which quarterback between Pickett and Stroud when they get the opportunities that are few and far between. Who takes advantage the most? And I I believe that C.J. Stroud is definitely the quarterback I would bet on in that moment to do it because like this Calvin Austin thing last week was awesome. He I don't buy that. George Pickens is good, but like and he's actually, I think he's actually really good. He's really but, good. You know, I just I think C.J. Stroud will take advantage of his moments more than Kenny Pickett will because to me, besides the star power of T.J. Watt versus Will Anderson, I think these teams are pretty equal across the board. I don't disagree. I, I think that the Texans have a better offense. And again, if they were healthy, I would definitively say they have a better offense. But I would flip it a little bit on you and say same position group, same situation. I'd say the offense that doesn't turn it over. The one that turns it over the least is going to win this game. Because I think think it's going to be a tight game. I agree with that. I think it's going to be a tough game and a physical game at that. But I think that of the two quarterbacks, and we haven't seen anything except for a fumble loss from CJ so far. But I keep waiting, and I don't want to see it. But I just know as a young rookie quarterback, he's going to have a hiccup or two Mink, somewhere down the road. I would not. Minka Fitzpatrick, assuming he's playing, because like I don't follow the opposing injury reports as much as I can, but he's always hurt. But like he'll probably get got this weekend. I would be shocked. I mean, if C.J. Stroud goes a fourth week Minka Fitzpatrick has been all over the field. If you watch that Pittsburgh uh, Raiders game. Yeah, he's super talented. He's unbelievable. Yeah, I, that's still that's a weird one to look back on, like, that they gave up a first for him. It's a really good trade for Pittsburgh. It almost looks like an awful trade for the Dolphins. Who knows which incredible Dolphins player was turned into from that pick. But, like, the, the, I feel like it's very – the odds are in the fact that C.J. Straub will get sacked. We did this last week, too. We set the number at three and a half sacks was the over-under we put out for C.J. Straub. You didn't go down last week, right? You didn't go down last week. So, if anyone hit said the over, we were all wrong. Um, I, I want to just keep it at that number. Three and a half. Three and a half for this weekend. You're playing a much better defensive line, obviously, as we've well documented and talked about. Like the numbers, three your and offensive a half. line sucks. Your offensive line does suck, and got worse. Ridiculous, I assume is not good at football. Nope, and that's why I would say four's a lot. I, it is, but it was eleven times for two games. Was I know, but then six? they then they got away with one, know, and it kind of and you know it it, it evened it's, out a little excuse bit. Excuse the numbers. I, I just I, I can't help but say over it. Everything tells me, and this is where Vegas gets you. Everything tells me that they're going to get four sacks. I'm going to go the over as well. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I just hope, and hopefully no fumbles, but I, I'm going to go the over. On the flip side, how many yeah. sacks do the Texans have? So that number I would set lower because, like, they've, they've – I think it's two and a half. Yeah, they've pressured the quarterback well, and, and I just went over, you know, the fact that the Steelers' offensive line isn't good, but they're not getting to the quarterback at the rate the Steelers have been so far. No surprise. I would set that one at two and a half. Uh, Laramie Tunsil – and Josh Jones, per Adam Schefter, officially just ruled out for Sunday's game versus over. Steelers. So, over. Over, it, book it. Uh, over it is. It is. Uh, over uh, two and a half for the Texans. I'll take the under. I think the Texans get three. That'd be nice. Yeah. I hope Will Anderson gets all of them. Yeah, because I don't think Pe- Kenny Pickett, as much as when he did that BS move, the fake slide in college, oh, and, and, and ran a little bit, play. I don't think he's mobile, and I think that he's going to get hit. He got canceled for that, that rule, the rule. If that, play became, rule. that play became illegal after yes, that it one. Did. But it was impressive when it happened. All right, he is Joel Blank. You can find him on Twitter, at Pac-Man Joel. I'm Joe George, filling in for Jeremy Branham on Twitter, at Joe George Radio. We talked a lot about C.J. Stroud and rookie success. What is sustainable? I feel like Jeremy Branham has let down his own Houston Coug. 
We're not talking about Tank Dell enough. Is what Tank Dell has done through the last two weeks sustainable? We do that next here on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. We're your daddy. You was a toilet baby. Tiff just plopped down like a little old turd, just right down in a bowl. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Brennan, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Joe Georgian here for Jeremy Brennan alongside Joel Blank on the Killer Bees, here with you till 6 o'clock. We'll be joined by Todd Callis, the TV voice of the Astros, in about 12 minutes from now, and we'll have Who Said It at 4.30, Joel and I versus BMAC. See how that goes. That's a for BMAC. Uh, I'm sorry, Brian. Uh, we need to understand that th- this is a very awkward situation for me. I'm never used to Joe George being on my side. He's always on Jeremy's. That'll be weird. I think that's that's happened before. I think we've done this once. Yeah, at least once, yeah. But other than that, I'm saying it, it happens so few and far yeah. between yeah, because true. of how rare. much it's a two-on-one situation with him and Jeremy that I'm like, I, it's going to be awkward for me. First, I'm going to feel a little well, like play. you don't feel like you could trust him? Probably. I don't even know about trust. It's just that... He it's just trust me. It's just so weird. It's awkward. We used to be friends. It's weird. Is it that Joe's know. so prone to bad takes that when he gives his opinion on who it is that you're not going to take him? Fair. But that's one thing because sometimes he can have legit takes, but then he sides with. But then he picks the Bears to win the division and then Easy. he just throws out everything. I'm not, or he the, sides with Jeremy and then everything goes amok anyway. I don't root for teams or wide receivers publicly say they don't get the ball enough. Chase Claypool, you bum. Hmm. Idiot. At least you're over. Oh, that's right. You renounced your fandom. I, I did. I entered the transfer portal. I'm a Texans fan now. Uh, first time I played Who Said It? Joe, she doesn't love you. We went 0 for 5. Just letting you know. Me and Cole Thompson. In between games, scoffed at for my draft takes. He and I went 0 for 5. And Who Said It? It was an all-time embarrassing performance. So I'm hoping to at least get two today. Did he guess any host from other stations? I don't think so. Did he do that once? No, he just got... He, he didn't know our number. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and he didn't know Brandon's name when he filled in for him. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's All right, cool. so Tank Dell. I, I mean, he's not Jake? <laughs> um, Tank Dell uh, was, has been very, very good the last two weeks. Uh, he's one of those guys where, like, in fantasy football leagues, I have made the decision that if he's on my roster, I am playing him going forward. It just He's been so impressive. He's not the most electric guy in the NFL, but, like, he is clearly – Super consistent, catches the ball, and just finds a way to get open. But we, And we talked all this time about C.J. Stroud, what's sustainable, how good can he be. I don't think Tank Dell is ever going to be in that conversation, Joel, of like the upper echelon of wide receivers. But he's going to be a guy that like it seems like the, for the foreseeable future is going to be a very good contributor to the Texans offense. I, I don't disagree at all, Joel. I, I think the biggest concern that I have and I will continue to have throughout his career, no matter how much he's able to put on some weight or some muscle and get stronger, is the fact that I fear him getting hit. I fear him getting hit and taking a big shot because of how slight of build he is. Other than that, his ability to shake free, uh, uh, to be able with his quickness, to elude defenders, to get open, obviously... To catch the football, look, I think it was extremely underrated. I said it at the time the next day on the show, but I'll say it again. The ball he caught in double coverage where he completely deked the the defensive backs by acting like it wasn't on the way until the very last minute and then being able to bring it down in, in between two defenders is something that got overlooked by a lot of people that is a sleek veteran move that you don't really see of a kid in his first year in the NFL. Tank Dell has all the skill set. 
to be a very like a game changer. Now, I don't see him being Tyreek Hill. I don't see him being a guy because of the fact that I don't know that the Texans are ever going to put him completely in harm's way and really send him on some routes over the middle yeah. and do some things where he could be in danger. Could he be like this version of a Welker, Edelman, like the guy who's like smaller on the inside, definitely less over the middle than those guys. They went over the middle all the time. But like, I, th- I think he can be the number two wide receiver for this team. And, and honestly, I think the stat lines he's put up the last two weeks can be sustainable for the entire season, and if not more. 70 yards, five to eight catches, a touchdown, like not a touchdown, a game, but like somewhere between like that range of six catches, 75 yards, that's on pace every single week. Like he's just going to be a consistent target and and like weapon for this team. But here's what I'd say, Joe. For the foreseeable future. He could be like that only instead. I'd like you to take out the word inside and put in outside. That's fair. If they're out routes, if they're hot routes where he can get open deep down the field, the, the biggest difference is, again, physically, I don't believe he's the guy, and you shouldn't ask him to be the guy that did what Welker did, that did what Edelman did, went over the, the middle a ton, took big hits from linebackers and, and, you know, and safeties just zeroing in on him. I think he's a guy that can do those kind of things, create that kind of offense, but do it on the outer edges of the field. He can do it up the field. He can do it on the outer edges of the field. Now, occasionally he'll run a slant, but he's got a D-back on him to where he can catch it and get down. But I don't think they're going to put him in harm's way enough to have him be an inside slant receiver. What says you, B-Mac? Yeah, I, I, I think it's sustainable, and I agree with Joel's take about you know inside versus outside. So I wouldn't go Wes, Wes Walker or Julian Edelman. I'm, I would go with the name uh, who actually spent some time with the Texans, a Brandon Cook-style receiver who was a, not a big mm-hmm. guy, but was uh, you know obviously had a very uh, – Top level career with a thousand yards with like four different teams, or maybe a Tyler Lockett type, another small guy who played yeah. a lot on the outside. Um, I, I think you could see Tank Dell because I mean, I, and again, I, I do think it's sustainable when you're his size and you're able to make it work at you know major college level and now in the NFL through three games. You've obviously developed so many other skills to work around your deficiencies with height and weight that. That leads me to believe you could continue to do it, you know, over and over again. This is not some freak thing. He's developed skills to overcome his his you know his height issue, and I for that height reason, issue. I mean, well, you you do you identify you're, that, with you're, Joe? You're talking about it like it's something he can fix. Well, no, 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 no I didn't say he it's can not fix. A, it's not a weight issue. <laughs> but you guys think about this for as much as everybody, us included, had this this receiver room rated as one of the worst two in football. In the future, if Mechie's healthy, and I understand it's still an if, but he's playing more now. If Mechie is your inside slot receiver, Tank can be your outside kind of guy. And then if you get a true one that can really open up and stretch the field and draw attention of defenses, boy, oh boy, you could do a lot worse. I I know. Do you still think the – you still view the Texans wide receiver room as towards the bottom of the NFL or at the bottom, but it's C.J. Stroud lifting them up or – that they're just better than we thought, or common. Woods for sure is better than we thought. Yeah, he he has more juice in the tank than I thought. No, like, and and his ability to catch in traffic, where you know I thought he'd be making business decisions at this point in his career, and he's going into heavy traffic and pulling down footballs. He's been a pleasant surprise. And Nico stepped it up. Yeah, it's it's as good of a surprise as Robert Woods has been for this show. The way we talked about him, I think Dalton Schultz is like the ultimate negative. That's true, definitely. Because I like, said I thought he would lead the team in reception. Yeah, I think I think we all did. I think we and, and touchdowns as well. Like Dalton Schultz just has not been part of this offense. That's another thing for this weekend. I, I'm curious to see if they can find a way to get him more involved. 
or if maybe even Brevin Jordan takes more of a role in the offense. Yeah, if, if not him, then who? Well, Jordan would be the guy, and he capitalized last week. I think because of the fact that they know he's on a one-year deal, too, and they know he's catching some heat and some strays, that I, 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 would, I would tend to believe that there might be some focus on trying to get him the ball. Uh, but, you know, looking at what this room is compared to what we thought it would be, the two big differences for me are Woods has something left in the tank, and Nico's better than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Because after a couple of years of inconsistencies, I just didn't think Nico was that guy. He's been impressive. Or could too. be like one of those guys. Because I don't ever think he's going to be a one. But I, I was expecting with where they t- drafted him, what he did at Michigan, I thought, hey, this is a kid that could, with his height and size and his hands, he could be a good number two. I, based on his career with the Texans, I thought this could be it for him here. Yeah, and now he's shown me a whole hell of a lot more than that. Yeah, he he's been he's been pretty good. Like uh, Nico's a guy that it, it's still that's where I evaluate C.J. Stroud. I look at him in such a positive way is because it just makes me feel like the the Nico stuff was always there, and Davis Mills was just inept mm-hmm. to like get that out of him. That's a distinct possibility. What are you yeah. cackling about it? Uh, Gilbert called in while you guys were talking. Which ta- Gilbert? Gilbert called in, asked me. Uh, what time the game's at? No, close. What channel uh, it's on? <laughs> he asked me uh, who I thought was going to win, this, the Texans or the Steelers. I said the Texans. And he said, oh, the Steelers not any good? It's like, well, I don't think their quarterback's any good. Their defense is good, but I don't believe in Kenny Pickett. He said, okay, bye, and, and hung up. The only time I ever heard from Gilbert when I left Gao in 2018 was when he would call the other stations asking for what channel the game was on. He would oh. just, like, call the hotlines be like, and just ask what channel. Anyways, I'm not anyways. Try to do it, Gilbert. No, I yeah, do I don't, get, yeah, I don't pers- get- Honestly, impersonations just aren't my thing. Anyways, and yours uh, is pretty good. I mean, it, but the thing is, too, I, I was surprised he didn't finish it. BMAC with, uh, anyway, can you call Jennifer Reyna? Call Jennifer Reyna. <laughs> no, he didn't ask me about Jennifer Reyna or Cheetah Craft or anybody from uh, the TV stations here. All right, he is Joel Blank. You can find him on Twitter at Pacman Joel BMAC behind the glass on Twitter at Sack by BMAC. I'm Joe George on Twitter at Joe George Radio. Quick note on the Astros before we go to break, and are joined by Todd Callis. Uh, Ryan Stanek has been placed on the paternity list. And Seth Martinez is coming up from Sugarland, uh, so standing probably out for the rest of the season, likely back for the playoffs because I guess they're having another baby. I see what you did there because like out for the rest of the season's only for three days. I know. All right, Todd Callis, TV voice of the Astros, joins us next year on the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ninety two five. ESPN ninety seven five and ninety two five. Sweet sassy molassy. John Stockton says, "Hey, look at me. I'm a little teapot. I'll run right up your dress." But then Carl Malone says, "Sweet sassy molassy. You are gonna pay a lot." <laughs>